what an honor that you would join us for our podcast. I'm Pastor Todd Starnes of Odessa First Assembly. This is part two of a series, Unwavering Faith. I hope that it encourages you and blesses you. If you would like more information about us, just go to odessafirst.com or check out any of the social media platforms, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, YouTube. Let's jump right into this week's message. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1, and then ESV, it says it this way. Now faith is the assurance, the assurance of things hoped for. And that assurance, that's, uh, that's something of comfort. You know, you are assure somebody it's going to be okay. You assure somebody that everything's going to be all right. Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for and the conviction of things not seen. And I just want to, we're going to read through a couple of translations. I want to draw this kind of, uh, it, they all mean the same thing, but our, it just kind of adds some color to this text that we're so familiar with. And the New Living Translation, it says that faith shows the reality of what we hope for. ESV was assurance. NLT is reality. It is the evidence of things we cannot see. So the ESV, we see conviction that the thing we're going to hold on to even though we don't see it. And then the NLT uses that word evidence. That I mean, you know what evidence is? If, you know, I mean... Uh, well, if you ever watch the CSI, you know what evidence is, because that's what they do. They collect evidence, but it's that evidence that we cannot see. The New King James Version, now faith is the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen. But I, I really like how the message colors this, and, and I do want to say I, I'm a firm believer, and uh, people ask all the time what the best translation is and my answer all the time is is the translation that you understand I think that's that's where we start that's where we begin and uh, there are many different translations and and I'm actually grateful for that and I refer to many different ones and I and there's many that classify the message as a translation I do not I think that I think the message is more of a commentary that it you know just brings some understanding but I want to read that the fundamental fact of existence is that this trust in God, this faith, is the firm foundation under everything that makes life worth living. But here's what I really want to emphasize. You know, we, when we read the New King James, faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. And here's how it says about that evidence, that assurance, that conviction that we saw in the other translations. It's our handle on what we can't see. It's our handle on what we can't see. And I thought that was a great description about what faith is because the fact of the matter is when you're going through something and you're going through a fight, you're going through a battle, you're going through something that you gotta have some faith for. Sometimes it feels that way. I don't have a handle on this thing. I, you know, and, and this faith that brings forth, it is our handle on what we can't see. But I really want to encourage you this morning when it comes to faith. And, I, and these things are very simple, very, very simple, but I think things that need to be declared and heard and received. Number one is this, you may not realize it, but you have faith. You have 
faith. Now, granted, it may be you've, maybe you're struggling a little bit in that faith, or that faith may seem somewhat weak or tested. There's, there's all kinds of areas of the, the spectrum of where that faith can be. But take heart, church. I said, take heart that you have faith. Don't let the devil tell you that you've got no faith. So many times I hear people say, well, I don't know if I have enough faith for that. I don't know if I've got the faith for that. Man, just, just put that out of your heart and your spirit and your mind. You've got faith. The Bible tells us in Romans 5.1, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. So it's simply this. If you're saved, then your faith is at work. You got, if, you're, if you're a believer... You, you cannot be a believer without faith. In Ephesians 2.8, for by grace you have been saved through what? Through faith. And it's not your own doing, but it's a gift from God. Even that faith you have is not something you stir up within yourself. It's something that God gives you. So if God gives it to you, why do you feel like it determines on you of how it works? Did somebody hear that? Number two is this, you have more faith than you think. You have more faith than you think. The Bible tells us in Matthew 17, and it, you know, I almost was like going to go this direction. I mean, of course, you know, when you're wanting to write a, you know, prepare and thoughts are going all, you know, crazy in your head. But Matthew 17, 20, you have more faith than you think. It tells us because of your little faith. Because of your little... Now, let me, I just kind of want to tell you what's going on right here just very quickly. What happened was is that the, the disciples and the followers of Christ, they were out doing some stuff, you know, and they were ministering. God, uh, Jesus had sent them out. But they came across a boy that was demon-possessed, and the father's like, hey, pray for my son. He gets delivered, and uh, it didn't happen. And so the man comes and finds Jesus. And, I mean, Jesus kind of, he's, he's really not polite or kind or gentle with the disciples he's like you know you faithless generation I mean he kind of he rebukes them but here's why here's why Jesus did that is simply in the question and how they asked Jesus because they asked Jesus why could we not deliver him and that was the problem it had nothing to do with the we and had everything to do with God are you following me? You see, they had placed faith upon themselves, but it's never faith in ourselves. It's about having faith with God. True faith is not belief in faith, but it is its focus in on God. Matthew, Mark eleven twenty two tells us, have faith in God. That's where our resting place of our faith is. And even when you read Mark eleven twenty two, I mean, it goes on to talk about how you know, even with that faith that, you know, you can take up the mountain and it be thrown in the sea. When you read Matthew 17, 20, it says along the same lines that with this little faith, with faith like a mustard seed, you can say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it will move. Listen, with a little faith, 
with a little faith. I mean, you realize mustard seed is something you can barely see, yet grows into a plant 20, you know, a tree 20, 30 feet. I mean, it's a, it's a, it's a powering tree. It's not a small bush, but this with a little seed. And he says, nothing will be impossible for you. Listen, you are, sometimes we get down on our faith that we think we have a small faith, but a small faith is all you need to do big things. True faith is not a belief, just in faith, it's our focus isn't on God. And number three is this, the faith you have can do more than you think. And that's just simply it. The faith you have can do more than what you realize that it can do. Because the enemy will convince you, you don't have enough faith for that. You may got a little faith, but that's what it is. It's piquito, it's little, it's small. What can that small faith do? Well, Jesus said with that small faith, you can speak, speak to the mountain and move it in the sea, and nothing is impossible. And I, I kind of want to explain it this way. When you look at Ephesians 4 or 5, which it gives us three things that, man, you could preach. Like, there's so much theological content, and this one little sentence, this one little verse, these really just these six words, one Lord, one faith, one baptism. One Lord, one one faith, one baptism. It's not a different faith to get saved and then a different faith to get baptized in the Holy Spirit. Listen to me. It's not one faith to get saved than a different kind of faith to pray for a miracle. It's not one kind of faith to get saved. And I, I use that as the entry point because if you're here this morning, and you're saved, you understand how that saving faith works. It works the same way with everything else in the kingdom. Because faith is simply, maybe you don't see the evidence of it, but you know that God's going to do it. You know that there's an assurance there. There's a, a foundation there. It, it, it's not one kind of faith to uh, be saved and then another kind of faith to see all five of your five friend focuses to come to the Lord, plug. It's not separate kind of faith. Listen, it's all one faith. And the Bible says that we've all been given a measure of that faith. That measure of faith to carry out what God has called you to do. The only really different type of faith is what we find in 1 Corinthians 12 when it comes to the the nine, the, the nine gifts of the Holy Spirit. And there is a supernatural faith that is given by the Holy Spirit. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians 12, 11, that it's as the Spirit wills for any of the gifts of the Holy Spirit. And yes, there is a supernatural faith that the Holy Spirit can give us in those moments when we need it. And it's, I, I'm going to tell you, I, I honestly think that that's probably happened even in your life more than you realize. But I want to get to Luke chapter 18. And I'm, what I'm hoping is we're going to really kind of, I, that was like, okay, that was pre-flat check. You know, now we're, we went down the runway, we're taking off. And so Luke chapter 18 is really, this is, this is kind of what I want to focus in on this morning. But I want to lay some groundwork. So Luke chapter 18. And here we read the parable from Jesus of the unjust judge and the, uh, a widow. In Luke chapter 18, beginning in verse 1, it says, And behold, he told them a parable, Jesus, to the effect 
listen, I mean, you know, whenever you read a parable, this is just kind of for you this morning, but whenever you read a parable and it's, it's difficult to understand, Jesus always puts the, the, the cipher in there, the, how to decipher, how to understand that parable. And he says at the very beginning of this parable, what, what I'm about to tell you, what I'm about to, this parable I'm about to share with you, that you should always pray and not lose heart. That's what the parable is about. To always pray and to not lose heart. Verse 2, he said in a certain city there was a judge who neither feared God nor respected man. And there was a widow in that city who kept coming to him saying, give me justice against my adversary. For a while he refused, but afterward he said to himself, though I neither fear God nor respect man, verse 5, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I'll give her justice so that she will not beat me down by her continual coming. Verse 6, and the Lord said, hear, hear what the righteous judge says. So, you know, he's telling this parable, and I mean, he's trying to get their attention. Hear what this unrighteous judge says. Verse 7, and will not God give justice to his elect? Who cry to him day and night, will he delay long over them? I tell you, he will give justice to them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will, will he find faith on earth? Will he find faith on earth? And this is really a, 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 a powerful parable. But even just to begin with, listen, what Jesus is not saying, what, what's, what's, what's not happening here is him saying, that this unjust judge and that God are just alike. That's not the correlation that Jesus is making. Matter of fact, the point that he's emphasizing is, is this, is if an unjust judge, well, let's kind of put it in our vernacular, maybe we want to say it a little better. If a corrupt judge will do what's right for somebody, what will God do for you? What will God do for you? Are you following me? What will God do for you? The Bible tells us, like, you know, I know it's specifically about the Holy Spirit, but Scripture tells us if you go ask, you know, the Father for some bread, is he going to give you a rock or a serpent? No. I mean, that's not the heart of a real father. But when we look at this, so right at the beginning, we're just going to go verse by verse a little bit and kind of look at some things. Always pray and do not lose heart. That's the key to this whole thing. So always pray, to continually pray, and to not lose heart. So number one is this. Pray continually and pray persistently. Pray continually and pray consistently. I understand that this might be, you know, kind of, you know, I mean, you know, Sunday school stuff, but I'm going to tell you, it's amazing to me when I get in the pressure cooker sometimes about, yes, I know, it may taint your view of your pastor, but yes, even I get my eyes on the circumstance sometimes and forget to pray. It's just part of being human. And so that's why we hear this over and over and over and over. Pray continually and pray persistently. The Bible tells us in 1 Thessalonians 5.17, pray without ceasing. Pray without ceasing. In Ephesians 6.18, praying at all times in the Spirit. 
And I mean, we could read with all prayer and supplication, with all, you know, he's saying, I mean, you got the prayer, throw it up. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints, praying at all times in the Spirit. And yes, that doesn't mean, here's, here's really the power of this, okay? And I know many of you have probably heard this shared on so many times, but listen to me. It was Jewish tradition. Listen, it was Jewish tradition to only pray three times a day. You know, it's like, it's, it's like forgiveness. Remember about forgiveness, you know? Oh, my, I'm all, you know, when, you know, am I only... You know, if I'm going to forgive, you know, do I for, you know that was about only forgiven three times. And Peter was like, do I forgive seven times? And Jesus was like, no, 70 times seven. It's the same way with prayer, prayer without ceasing. The religious of the day, the Sadducees and Pharisees would only pray three times a day. And Jesus was like, let me tell you, you know, let, let, let me uh, tell you all how to do this. And, you know, we read it through Paul, but pray without ceasing. Don't stop praying. Now, does that mean... I'm going to walk around every waking hour, Jesus, 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 thank you. I'm, I'm, not, I'm not trying to be, you know, uh, disrespectful, but, you know, that, that's not, you know, it's not I'm going around every minute, every day, you know, have, I mean, I got my big old long, you know, 15,000 item, you know, prayer list to go by to make sure I'm praying all day long. It is something of an attitude of the heart Listen, I, the, the, the fact of the matter is take stock right now. I mean, really, I, I have a little self-awareness. And I mean, how many times do you really think about the Lord through the day? How many times do you think about the Lord? How many, how many times do you th- offer prayer for maybe somebody that's in need? Hello? I mean, I, I mean how often do you do that? You see that the prayer without ceasing, it's more about knowing, first thing is this, is our dependence upon God. Listen, I don't know, I really don't. I, and the longer I'm saved and the longer I'm in this thing, I, I, I don't know how people do it without the Lord. I mean, I really, really don't. Listen, if you're here this morning and you're trying to do it all on your own, man, you're, you're going to exhaust yourself. You're going to go crazy. You're going to spend yourself, and you're going to be miserable. I mean, to pray without ceasing, it's more about the attitude of that I'm going to depend upon God about everything. And when you live in that and you practice that, it's a whole lot easier. Like, you know, if I get bad service at Taco Villa, Lord, just bless them. I mean, hey, this is where the rubber meets the road, friend. You know what I mean? I mean, if, if, if you get offended over them putting red sauce and get a green sauce, how are you really going to deal with when somebody hurts your feelings? But when we get in this motive of just our dependence upon the Lord, and knowing every situation, no matter the problem, let's go to prayer first. I, I'm still one of these, I'm going to make a t-shirt one day that just says, I don't know if you remember our sermon during 21 days fasting and prayer, but pray first. Pray first. Pray frequent. That's the next fill in the blank there if you're following along. Pray frequently. Oh, I forgot to stop my timer. We have 35 minutes now, so. (laughs) Joking. 
kind of, maybe, I don't know, we'll see. Um, it doesn't mean that you always verbally and mentally and every second you know, that you're praying for something, us somebody, you know, I'm not walking around on my knees praying, I'm not, you know, or anything like that. It, it, it's really taking that stock, and listen, I, it's more than just having a devotional time, which I know maybe some of us maybe struggle with just that. We, we got to start somewhere, and <laughs> hello, and you want you know, to start in your devotional time and, and have that prayer time, but it's, I mean, it is, it's, when I, when I, still today, it's just ingrained for me when I was a Youth Alive missionary. I still, even if it's under my breath, when I drive by a school zone, I pray for the school. I, I'm, you know, it's not, I mean, I have the sticker on my car that I'm a prayer zone partner, but I mean, to this day, every time, I'm like, Lord, touch the principal, touch the teachers, pour out your spirit, bring a revival to those students. And that's really that all that it takes. And I, I mean, any time that I see a, a, a tragedy on the interstate and you see all the, the first responders, man, we, we as a family, many, we'll, we'll just start praying, Lord, I don't know what's happened. I, I don't know who they are, but look, God, touch them, bring strength, comfort, save their life, let your hand be upon them. I mean, that's not, that's, it's not juvenile, it's not silly to do that. That's part of praying without ceasing in our frequency and that we be steadfast, steadfast with our prayer. It's an attitude of being steadfast. You know, we see First Thessalonians 5, 17, it says, pray without ceasing. And in verse 18, give thanks in all circumstance, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. And I'm grateful that it doesn't say give thanks for all circumstance. I'm going to tell you, there are circumstances you don't have to necessarily be grateful, but I'm going to tell you, in every circumstance, you can be grateful. Do you hear me? You can be grateful in every circumstance. The second thing is this, God is good. God is good. Listen, this, this guy, he, he was, he was an unjust judge. We don't know necessarily if he was Gentile or Jew or Roman or what or what he was, but I mean scripture says that he was an unjust judge, and that is completely opposite of what God is. But yet the enemy wants to listen to me. The enemy wants to convince you that God is withholding something good from you. I'm gonna tell you that is such a tool and a powerful tool of the enemy. That if God really loved you, then you would have blank. That's not how it works. But the, I mean, that's exactly what at, that the enemy, when he was a serpent, did to Eve. Is that's how he manipulated that situation? Did God really say you couldn't have any fruit of the garden? That's not what God said. God said he, they couldn't have one specific fruit. But the enemy twisted that. Come on, I'm preaching really good right now. He twisted that and said, did God really say you couldn't have any of that? That's what the enemy will do. But I'm going to tell you this morning that God is good. He is a good God. He is a good father. And I know that many times that if we've had a bad experience or relationship with our earthly father, we tend to, you know, Put that on the heavenly father. And it doesn't matter how good your earthly father was or how terrible, God is above it all. I mean, Exodus 34.6. I just want to read some verses. Exodus 34.6. The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful, 
gracious, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. That is your God. Psalm 145.9 is your God. The Lord is good to all. Listen, I had a hard time when I first came across that verse, and I was thinking about that verse. The Lord is good. It didn't say the Lord is good to those who do right. Do you notice that? It doesn't say the Lord is good to those you like. The Lord is good to all. And his mercy is over all that he has made. First Chronicles 16:34. I let, we used to back in the day sing a song about, about this verse, but verse 34: Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. For his steadfast love endures forever. James 1.17, every, every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of light. So powerful to realize that. Why do we need to know that? Because it's kind of like what I talked about a couple of weeks ago. Listen, when we go to the Father in prayer, and we go and we ask, the Bible says we have not because we ask not. When we go to the Lord in prayer and it lines up with the Father's will, the Father wants to do it for you. Number three is this. We read about this widow. We don't know exactly the situation going on. We know she was a widow. But I'm going to tell you this morning, number three is this. She was a widow, but you're a bride. I said, she was a widow, but you're a bride. You know, the re- and, and the widow does have a, a representation in this parable that the, the widow represents the, the most vulnerable. The widow represents the oppressed. The widow represents those in need. And I know that we can all be those things and more and, you know, just desperate for God to do something. But listen to me. You are a child of God. You are an heir for the kingdom of God. You are God's workmanship. And I know even, some, you know, it's not like the guys, you know, sometimes we hear, you're the bride of Christ. We're like, amen, I'm a girl. I, I, I know this is a sensitive talk, but listen, I mean, you're, you're either a boy or you're a girl. I mean, it, it's, it's just what it is. And I so much want to get in a soapbox right now, but I... I, I and I, I, I know preaching on some kind of soapbox for those that are deceived in this agenda going on today is not going to be what wins them. It's going to be the love of God that wins them. It is. It doesn't mean we can't stand for truth. It doesn't mean we can't stand for what's right. But I'm going to tell you, we need to show the love of Christ all the while we share the truth. I've said it so many times, and for some reason, I think this last week I've had 15 conversations where this came up. Listen, you don't have to be offensive for the gospel. The gospel is offensive enough on its own. There is nothing more offensive than the wages of sin is death. It doesn't get more offensive than that. But the gift of God is eternal life. But I'm going to tell you, sometimes we have a hard time hearing that. But it, it's really a powerful imagery of the way that Scripture lines us up. Because our relationship with Christ, there's so many mirrors. And, and I mean, that's where the marriage covenant comes from. And it's powerful. I, I, I remember, I, I remember that day 
that I got married. And, you know, we were a little bit untraditional in the way that we did things when me and Angela got married. And, and I, I tell you, I'll, I'll be honest, I'm so grateful that we did it this way. But we did the majority of our picture taking with family and everything before the ceremony. So what that meant was, is I was going to see Angela before she came down the aisle. And, um, and so what they did, they, uh, uh, we, we actually got, you know, when I first proposed to Angela, I mean, I was so worried she was going to get married at camp. And uh, I did not want my wedding to be at camp. I love camp. I was like, I, I don't see how a white dress and red mud's going to mix, you know. Those of you who've been to Roaring Springs camp, you know exactly what I'm talking about. And so then I'm like, I don't know where, and so we, she, we got married in the district office, the old district office, you know, back then, which it was really a gym, and I was like, I don't know how that's going to work out, but it's better than camp. And so they had her in one of, the, one of the offices, and it was a really special moment. They came and got me and escorted me in, and she was sitting there in this chair, just her dress. I mean, just, I'll, I'll never, never, ever forget that image of her in that room, in that first moment, we saw each other that day, and it was so special. I know, and even, it didn't take away, I'll tell you, when she came down the aisle, I, you know, they were expecting her to be the crybaby, but it was me. It was me. Her, all of her bridesmaids were handing me their Kleenexes that they were saving for her, and uh, I'm going to tell you, that is a beautiful picture of the church with Jesus, with the church with Jesus. And here's what you need to know. You, you are not an orphan. You're not an orphan. You're not forgotten about. You're not on the back 40. That's the power of when David was called. It called us out from the outermost. Which I don't know if, if you know your New Testament very well, you know the scripture talks a lot about those being called from the outermost to the holiest of holies, to the inside, in the presence of God, drawn in. That's who you are. I mean, think about it this way. What would I do? I mean, what I <laughs> man, I wanted Angela to marry me. And so I did some crazy stuff. I mean, I wanted to impress her. Come on, I mean, you know where I'm talking about. I mean, I was youth pastoring, and I would go, she lived in El Paso, I lived here. And so I drove to El Paso, and, you know, I had to be back uh, at the church to teach you Sunday school at 9.30 on Sunday morning. And I'm going to tell you, man, I hung on to every moment I could when I was in El Paso. And there were times where I may have had to stop five or six times on the way home. Sometimes I walked right in the church on Sunday morning to teach Sunday school. I mean, I was going to spend every waking moment that I could spend with, spend with her. And I was going to take her out. I was going to, I mean, I didn't have no money, but I, I tell you, I, I came up with it somehow. And if I'm willing to do that with her, what is God willing to do for me? So, you realize, for God so loved you that he gave his one and only son. He gave everything for you. I'm going to tell you, God wants to answer your prayers and then we read about this. She had an adversary that she wanted. Are, is everybody okay? Are we all okay? Good. You're like, what's coming next? I don't know. We're going to see. <laughs> you see that in the scripture about this adversary. 
And I, I want to park there just for a moment. She had an adversary that she wanted justice about. There was something that happened. We don't know what it is. All we know is that there was an adversary and she wanted justice. And so we know we're familiar with that term. And there's different, I just want to talk to you about how the New Testament uses the word adversary and how it relates specifically to this verse. Listen, what I'm hoping is, kind of when we get done today, whenever you come across this verse, it's going to be a whole new painted picture for you to help you in prayer and faith. And so we know, I mean, the first one we know is, is obvious, right? It's, you could probably fill in the blank yourself. It's the devil. The Bible tells us that the devil, the enemy, Satan, is our adversary. 1 Peter 5, 8. Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the, I mean, it's plain black and white right there in our Bibles. It's what it says. He's our adversary. He prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. The devil hates you. He hates you. And I don't buy, I know you guys have heard me say this, I don't buy into that, that I'm so bad the devil leaves me alone. No, he's out to steal kill and destroy everybody because whether you're saved or you're lost, you are created in the image of God and he hates you for it. He is not going to be satisfied till he robs everything from you. Everything. Be sober-minded. Be watchful. Your adversary is the devil. I mean, we know that we're engaged in a spiritual warfare. Here's also, Scripture tells us that something that is an adversary to us this is going to be something new for some of you. The thing that stops your worship. The thing that stops your worship is your adversary. Don't let anything stop your worship. Nothing. That's why circumstances, that we're going to talk about in just a moment, that's why the circumstances we find ourselves in is such a powerful tool from the enemy. Because the enemy can get your eyes off God and onto the circumstance. And what is worship? Worship is looking at your circumstance and realize in the light of God that your circumstance is so much smaller. Come on, somebody. Your circumstance is so much smaller when you magnify, when you worship God. And the thing that stops your worship is your adversary. I'll give you a scripture, and you're going to say, I've never seen it that way. But, you know, we've, you know we went here recently through this, the series about offense. But in Matthew 5.23, it says, So if, you're, if you are offering your gift at the altar, and remember that your brother has something against you. Did you know when it says your brother is something against you, that that thing that's between you, what in the Greek, and you do all the word studies and all that kind of stuff, it means adversary? It means adversary. And so when you're down there worshiping and it's keeping you from being able to worship, like, in, now there's a lot of people, oh, Pastor, did I try to say that? Mm. There's a lot of people that give a lot of worship, but I, re I really think it's a false worship. You know why? Because the Bible says we worship in spirit and truth, and you can't worship if you're not in right relationship vertically. And so when you remember, oh, there's these issues back here, that, that's an adversary to your worship. Are you following me? But the third thing is this, and this speaks specifically to this passage, to this text. 
you got to look at the whole picture that kind of in all, when you look in Luke in these later chapters of any of the Gospels, what Christ is lining out, what he's laying out, is a lot of things are going to happen in the end times. And so to really understand this passage, you've got to really understand the big picture of what it's going to be like in the last days, which I believe we're in the last days. And so what he's saying is, remember, follow me, in the last days there's going to be a whole lot of mess going on. Right? Since I started my timer late, that's kind of where I'm, the direction I'm going. I, I can't get in too more specific or it'll take too much time. But, I mean, we know we're living in a day where the, 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 there is things that are adversary, that are antichrist to the spirit of God. There is a battle going on like there's never been. And it's just going to intensify as we wait for the coming of the Lord. And so we see this, this fight going on. And so our adversary is not just the enemy but what fights against the kingdom of God? Whatever sets itself up against the kingdom is our adversary. The large picture of the con, it has to do with the end times. Listen to me. Listen to me. When our government makes laws that are contrary to the word of God, that law is our adversary. I mean, there's all kinds of ways we go with that. Now, listen to me. For the most part, the lawmakers are not our adversary. How do I know that? Because the Bible tells me I don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against powers and principalities. And so we have this adversary. We have this, this adversarial spirit that is pushing against the kingdom of God. And so the weapon the enemy uses, I said before, against you is circumstances, just our circumstances. Circumstance will influence the way that you think and you feel, and that's why you must understand that we don't walk by sight, but we walk by what? Come on, say it with me. We don't walk by sight, we walk by faith. We don't walk in what we see in the circumstance around us. We walk on another realm. Circumstance come and troubles and temptation. And that's really simply as I can put the battles that we face. We're going to go through trouble and we're going to go through temptations. And either way we look at it, the only way through either one of them is God's promises, faithfulness to the Lord, and worship. For we walk, though we walk, the Bible says in, in 2 Corinthians 10:3, for we walk in the flesh, we don't wage war according to the flesh. I want to move on to I kind of look at this this a little chunk of it now in verses four through seven. For while he refused, so you know, she's you know, has this adversary she wants justice about. For a while he refused, but afterward he said to himself, Though I neither fear God nor respect man, because this widow keeps bothering me, I will give her justice so that she'll beat me down, so she'll, st so she'll not beat me down by her continual coming. And the Lord said, Here's, Hear what the righteous judge says. And again, remember, as I just said before, is that, I mean, Jesus is telling them, Listen, Listen to the judge giving her what she wants. And, if, and, and the, it's implied saying, if an unjust judge will do that, what will the Father do for you? 
And will, and will not God give justice to his elect? Listen, Jesus was not comparing God to the unjust, contemptuous judge as though he, this is the way God treats unbelievers. He's not saying that when we take our things to God in prayer that he looked at you like this judge, look at the widow, if I just don't give Raul what he wants, he's just going to keep annoying me. That's not the way that God sees you. That is not, the enemy wants you to feel that way when you've asked for something 30 times. But we pray without ceasing. It is okay to keep asking until you get an answer. Your answer may be no. Don't keep asking after it's no. What I have found in my life, when God told me no and I kept asking, then he gave me what I asked for, and I was like, God, why'd you do that? I mean, I'm being, because you asked, I'm, I'm trying to teach you, man. <laughs> Instead, this parable shows that even if an evil man can be made to deal justly by the persistent widow, how much more would God, who loves his people, care, want to hear the request? This judge who's godless and contemptuous, this widow who's coming for help. But God sets it up a different way. The scriptures tells us something different. He says, come boldly to the throne of grace and let your requests be made known. When we're approaching God, it's not, we're, not, we're not an annoyance to him. He wants to hear what's on your heart. He wants to hear about your hurts. He wants to hear your needs. He wants you to give that all over to him. And so she has little hope of gaining justice and she uses the only weapon she has and that's persistence. Listen to me. Don't give up. Don't give up. Don't don't lose heart. Without anything to lose, she, yes, she makes herself an irritant to the judge, willing to drive him crazy with her request. And even this man, this unjust man, grows tired of her. Even worse, she's hurting, I mean, she's hurting his reputation. She's embarrassing him. It's happening all hours of the night. But she has this pounding persistence and so to get rid of her she gets her justice listen to me God doesn't see you that way but if you'll just stay persistent the Bible says don't grow weary and doing well for in due season you'll reap a harvest do not give up the Bible says we may be knocked down but we are not destroyed second Corinthians 4 listen do not stop Moving forward, I know it feels like sometimes you're going against the tide. I know sometimes it feels like you're locked in a whirlpool. I know sometimes it seems like everywhere you turn, it's just you're meeting, you know, it's just this, the Wex Texas wind of resistance. But don't give up. I said, don't give up. Listen, God's timetable, it could be milliseconds. 
God's timetable could be seconds. God's timetable could be minutes. God's timetable, it could be hours. God's timetable, it could be weeks. God's timetable, it could be months. God's timetable, it could be a year. God's timetable could be years. God's timetable could be decades. But do not give up. His time is his time. Don't give up. Too many people give up far too soon. I wish I would refresh my memory on the uh, on the on a story I read uh, some time ago. But somebody, you know, there was this guy, and I probably share it's probably going to ruin everything. But you know, he had this land, and uh, you know, he, he was farming, and there was all these black rocks and things, and where he's trying to farm, and he was he was stacking them up, and ended up having to sell the farm because. He couldn't make a living. He was destitute and he had this big pile of rocks. He couldn't get rid of them. And the guy that bought his land walked in and found it, looked at that thing and knew exactly what it was. And he busted it open and it was diamonds. I mean, think about that. I mean, some, we just give up sometimes way, way too soon. If you're believing for God to shift something in your spouse, don't give up. Matter of fact, what you'll find a lot of times is as you pray and you persist, God continues to work on me. Don't give up. You've been wanting an answer, a direction for something. Don't stop praying. Don't give up. Don't allow the enemy to do that to you. I want you to stand this morning. I hope that this message was a blessing to you. A couple of things you could do for us. One is you could subscribe. Whatever platform you're listening on, whether it be Apple Podcasts or Amazon Music or Spotify, you could also share. Share this message on your social media platforms. Remember, for more information, go to odessafirst.com. Thank you for joining us for the Odessa First Assembly podcast.